0: Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is
1: DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose
0: McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. tribe
1: called Quest. Fred Armisen. Prince Paul. Javier Munoz, Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus.
2: Hi,
0: we're Haim, and you're listening to the TalkHouse Podcast.
2: Ow!
1: What's up? I'm Elliot Einhorn, welcome back to the TalkHouse podcast. My guest today is?
3: Nick Dawson, editor in chief of TalkHouse. So I have a question for you. Please. Am I ever gonna be the one who goes, what's up, like that, or is it always gonna be you? I think we should do it right
1: now. Just give us the best one I feel like I just did it. Yeah, you kind of did it. Yeah, I did. How does it feel? This is why you go first. (laughs) 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 Listeners, we have a very cool show for you today. Ever heard of Cora Crawley, Countess of Grantham? From Downton Abbey, Elizabeth McGovern is here with us today in conversation with hit songwriter Gretchen Peters.
3: Yeah, this is a very cool conversation. You know, I am a big Elizabeth McGovern fan from from everything from Ordinary People to One Spot in America. She was in Wings of a Dove and, of course, was Academy Award nominated for her role as Evelyn Nesbitt in the excellent adaptation of E.L. Doctor O's Ragtime, which Milos Forman made in, like, 1981. She's a legend, and the thing that I didn't know about her is that she's also... She's got a band. She's making records under her own name now, but but the first three records that she made is under Sadie and the Hotheads. Sadie and the Hotheads. Sounds like a rockabilly band. A rockabilly band, a bluegrass band, a a band that is infinitely cooler than anything I could come up with. I do know people called Sadie, but I I never hang out with hotheads.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now, it's Elizabeth's love of music that drew her and Gretchen together. Elizabeth had heard Gretchen's records and was a huge fan such a huge fan that she reached out to her via social media. Listeners, let's take just a moment and listen to a clip from Gretchen's beautiful new song, Wichita.
2: She's not dumb like me, and I don't want her seeing things she don't need to see. Like some of the things I saw that night.
1: Gretchen is a Nashville-based songwriter. She puts out her own records. She's also plays songs with some amazing artists. Martina McBride, Eddie James, Trisha Yearwood, George Strait, Shania Twain, Neil Diamond. Don't forget Brian Adams. She's co-written with Brian Adams. Now, Peter's just released her new record, Dancing with the Beast, earlier this year. And since there's a new Elizabeth McGovern record coming in December... That's going to be called Postcard from Heaven. We thought we needed to sit these two down for a chat. I love it when friends talk, and especially friends
3: who have surprising histories. And, and you know, I, I love it when I find out that an actress or actor or writer or director, you know, has this other creative endeavor that they really love and are great at. It's fascinating.
1: Today's talk took place at Elizabeth's home, not Downton Abbey, Nick. It's not Downton Abbey. But her home in London. It's McGovern Abbey, obviously. McGovern Abbey. And they get into a lot.
3: They do. And and to me, one of the most fascinating things, as somebody whose partner is also in a similar field, is, is the issue of working together with your spouse.
1: Right. There's two very different perspectives here.
3: Elizabeth McGovern is married to Simon Curtis, who's a, a very well-known, very well-established British director in, in film and TV. And they work together a bunch. And it sounds like with kind of mixed results. It was kind of difficult based on what she said. She was very diplomatic about it. Whereas Gretchen Peters is married to her keys player, Barry Walsh, and they get on great.
1: Nick, I have worked at Pitchfork with my wife, Amy Phillips, who's the news director there. I enjoyed it. Ask Amy, though, it's a different question. I will ask Amy. (laughs) We also hear about what songwriters can learn from actors, and specifically inside the actor's studio. Indeed, James
3: Lipton—he's—he's he's my Yoda. He, <laughs> should, he should be everybody's Yoda. We also touch on how Roseanne Cash and Mary Chapin Carpenter both love Downton Abbey, and of course, there is the obligatory question about the Downton Abbey movie, which is coming up, which they're making right now. It's—it's it's being filmed as we speak, and they discuss the downside of early success. Yeah. Elizabeth McGovern was nominated for an Oscar at age 20. What are you going to do with that? in
1: motherfucking Abbey. That's what you're going to do. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's what <laughs> we're going to do. <laughs> Should we run the tape? Let's run the tape.
2: So, hi. Hi. It's good to see Welcome you. Welcome to London. It's good to be here again. I'm really glad we got a chance to do this in person. Uh-huh. Because there was a talk about maybe we'd have to do it over the phone. And- yeah, well, it's my...
0: Excuse
2: my this is, chance to see you. I don't get you much. Much better. I think there are some people out there anyway who obviously they know you as an actor, but they may not know that you have a band and that you're a singer-songwriter and you've got you've got three or four albums out. We've just finished a fourth. Wow.
0: Which is pending. We're um, hoping to release it in December. So it was a long time coming. The last one.
2: Which is how we met, actually. It is. It was... Well,
0: I don't know. Um, I think that I fell in love with you and then either
2: tweeted about it or did an interview about it. Well, you did an interview because you had a, a record out okay. or coming out yeah. in, in a magazine, a very posh magazine. Yeah. yeah. It was like something and gone. Sort of Downton Abbey-ish. Yeah. and uh, That's right. And And my brother-in-law's friend in Philadelphia uh, sent or she lives in England but he's in Philadelphia anyway she sent him a copy which he sent that's to me right. where you had said something about one of my songs. Yeah,
0: so unlikely. <laughs> it, it was, it, it was so really weird. like horse and hound or something like that. It exactly. Was, yeah. yeah. That's right. Now I remember. And
2: and me being completely Addicted to *Downton Abbey*. I've actually been a fan of yours since *Ordinary People*, but currently, at the time, I was actually there are a whole there's legion singer songwriter you know friends of mine in the states that are huge *Downton Abbey* fans. Mary Chapin Carpenter and Roseanne Cash and myself being we've we've tweeted back and forth to each other Uh about you know when the new season came out. But um, so yeah, so I reached out to you on Twitter, I think, and said, thank you for mentioning my song. And then we went mm-hmm. back and forth a little bit, and then we emailed, and the next thing we knew, we were in London doing a show together.
0: That's right, because you were so generous to give us a spot at Queen Elizabeth Hall, which was just... The
2: aptly named Queen Elizabeth Hall. Yes, as it happens. <laughs> just, what a world. I mean, I still really, can't believe it. It was a really, really fun night. Um yeah, so your band is Sadie and the Hotheads. For people who right. don't know, yeah, we we
0: had to make a managerially advised decision to release this next album under my name, which um, people had tried to get us to do for years, and, and we all resisted and I resisted because it isn't really an accurate description of how the music is made or how it's recorded or where it comes from, but they just thought it would be easier for people to connect to it on the internet in all those ways. So this one isn't actually officially a Sadie and the Hotheads album, but all the guys that you and Barry know are playing on it. And it does have a kind of slightly different sound to it because of the way it came about. Um, But the plan is to release it as Elizabeth McGovern and see if that, makes it easier for people to connect to. Right. So we'll see. You know, that's I have the experience. I
2: did love your band name.
0: Oh, I know. Thank great, you. It's such a great name. I know. Band.
2: I mean, it really liked, broke my heart. <laughs> I liked being an honorary hothead. Oh. <laughs> oh. But anyway, that was that was crazy. How, that
0: was crazy. How
2: random that was. Yeah. And, and, uh,
0: and so unbelievably thrilling for not only me, but everybody in the band. I mean, oh, you know, like, you know, we still talk you. about it. Well, so yeah that that was the beginning of everything and then since then you know I've had the pleasure of being just someone who follows you and and this last album of yours is just even more and greater than what you'd done before so um it's a constant inspiration. Oh, thank
2: you. I actually wanted to talk a little bit about something that's related to this. My album is um, basically 11 stories from young girls to old women. Yeah. And every, all females, but every age in between. And when I knew we were going to do this, I I was thinking about, you know, things that I wanted to talk to you about and ask you about. And it dawned on me something that really never dawned on me before, which is that I was really interested in writing about older female characters even when I was maybe 20 years younger than the women I was writing about. So I mean, I remember being in my 30s and writing, specifically writing songs about women sort of in their 50s, maybe early 60s. And I, th- I never really thought about that before but I thought those were the characters I was attracted to. You know, they were the most interesting, the most complicated, um, the most conflicted in some cases and i i think it's kind of interesting that both of our careers have been basically about telling women's stories and you and i somehow both seem to have just like flipped a big finger at the idea that you should just shut up and go away by the time you're over 40 i and love I, that and um, i think i think the characters that you've played in recent years are just so complicated and interesting and rich and I'm wondering, I mean, do you feel like you found your sweet spot? Because I sure do.
0: I couldn't agree with you more. I think that this is the kind of vacuum that exists out in the world today, which is that suddenly a woman is not represented after age 30 just when they start to become interesting. Right, Right, And, um, there's no reason for that to be the case because there are lots of women out there, obviously, who are older than 30 years old, and they are much more interesting. They have much more to say.
2: Well, not only is there no reason for it, I think it's detrimental to the culture as a whole. If you silence older women's voices, you're you're losing a lot, a lot of wisdom, a lot of, yeah. um, uh, you're just losing a lot. Yeah. And, I mean, I I'm drawn to the character I'm I think Lady Cora she could have been so one-dimensional but that wasn't the way you played it I mean that was there was there was a lot more complexity there and I'm it's just always I always feel like cheering when I see that when I see somebody playing a woman over 30 40 whatever and really giving it all the richness and complexity that It deserves. Well,
0: thank you so much. That obviously means so much to me. I mean, it's so strange to me that we all sort of agree to participate to a certain extent in this system. I mean, that there are so many women who strive to look, be a less interesting version of who they are at age 50, which is younger. And, um, I've never really quite understood what's wrong with wrinkles, what's wrong with being older. I mean, yeah. men accept it in themselves. And I and I think that so much of the time women buy into and participate what's handed to them by a societal expectation for no reason. You know, if you sort of took some time to step back and think about it. Without um, examining it, yeah. Yeah. Why? Why why are we buying into and participating into this bill of goods that were sold.
2: Well, in some ways, I think, I mean, this is endemic, obviously, in the entertainment business as, as a whole, but in some ways in the acting business, it's worse, I think, maybe even than in the music business. At least certain certain sections of the music, you know, you can, you can be a folk artist and you can uh, be a, a an elder in the folk music yeah. world, but it's pretty limited still. It's pretty endemic. Yeah.
0: Well, I suppose the beautiful thing about music is there is such a a solid craft that you have to offer. I mean, uh, and you can create it, you know, especially now you can record, you can write, you can play, whereas an actor, you know, that is in movies and television, they can't really do it without, participating in the system.
2: Right. It's so collaborative.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And they've got to get hired to a certain extent. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, you know.
2: Yeah. That, that's the thing about, uh, yeah, the collaborative aspect of it would, I'm not a good collaborator. (laughs) I'm not even a good co-writer. So that would, that would be so hard for me to deal with the, the part of it that's out of my control. Yeah. I
0: I, I think I find it frustrating to be honest. I mean, that, that's why for me doing the music, even though there's, there's nothing that particularly encourages me to do it in terms of success or accolade, you know, I mean, in fact, most of the time I feel sort of ashamed because I I don't feel that, um, that I, you know, that in terms of a, craftsman, as a musician, that I'm on nearly the level of what I would like to be in order to hold my head high. But there's something about me that needs so desperately to do it that in spite of everything, I, I keep going. And I think it's exactly what you love about it. It's this sense of control of, of, of I can make having, something. you can make it. It's yeah. your voice. It's yeah. your story.
2: I I just read an article today about, uh, you know, it was addressing people who had kept this secret. I think the title was something like, what's your secret that you don't tell anyone? And the gist of it was, what is the thing that you've wanted to do your whole life that you've you've kept inside and shoved aside and been ashamed to tell anybody that you wanted to do it for fear of, you know, being made fun of or whatever. And I, I thought two things. I thought, number one, I'm so lucky because I did that thing instead sure. of keeping it inside. But number two, I thought that thing, whatever that thing is, is the thing that keeps our life force going. So and for true. me, when I was little, I didn't want to be a singer-songwriter. I didn't want to be a musician. I painted paintings. I tried dancing. I, I tried. The gist of it was... I just wanted to make a statement creatively somehow, and I didn't really distinguish uh, in my mind how I was going to do it. And I think all of us that do something creative probably start out that way. Yeah. Just having that, in other words, having the urge before actually having the means, I guess. Yeah, I think that's really true, and I also think
0: that... There's got to be something in you that needs to do it, even if you fail over and over again right. at it, Right. because you inevitably do, particularly at the beginning. And, and I would say that for me, music is something that personally, I consider myself a failure. I'm not, I'm not great at it, but I think that the fact that I do it, <laughs> the fact that I Keep doing it. I, I find that to be important because I, I, I think other people should. I, because I, th- I think it's not about being good. It's not about being able to impress somebody. It, it's about having the courage to get up and do whatever yeah. it is you want to do, no yeah. matter what it's like. Yes, and yeah. you know if people don't like it they can get stuffed basically and <laughs> um you know and if they do like it if they respond then it's a wonderful coming together and communion and and all of those things and i mean you as a musician have come so far i mean you're just so at the top of your game your talent your writing your uh but but there's a point for everybody where you're not because you're just starting and oh, yeah, and totally. you just kind of got to keep going.
2: Oh, I wish I could go back and kind of take back the first few records I made just That's because interesting. I, I mean, I you know, I there's so many things. I can hear my tentativeness, I can hear my nervousness, I can hear my, you know, I don't know if other people can hear these things, but I can't listen to them because I can hear so much Anxiety, and yeah. you know, is this good? Am I, yeah. I can hear me watching myself. Sure. But thank
0: God you never ever listened to that negative voice inside your head, which was saying at the time, Oh, I'm not good enough. And because you needed right. to do it
2: and you just kept doing it. Well, I think a lot of what we are calling success is just. Having a really good set of blinders that yes. you put on, you know, and yeah. you just kind of go, "Yeah, that was a bad review." Going yeah. on, moving on. Yeah, right. You know, if you don't Fuck have it. that,
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm the first it's, to swear you, of,
2: you of the two space. of us. Now I'm now, I'm gonna,
0: so now, we, now I'm gonna, we both
2: can. Now I'm gonna be swearing all, <laughs> over, all over the place. Yeah, that's that's really true, and I think you know that. I was, I was doing it. I was at playing a festival in Canada a couple of days ago, and. One of the guys on stage, it was one of those workshops where a lot of artists all together on stage, and one of the guys on stage made a joke about how he was only in it for the girls. And I thought, I just—I laughed, but I thought, you know, for female artists, that whole part of the equation, that is so not why we ever did anything. I mean, you know, I think it's probably true of... Of your impulse to your creative impulse and mine, I, I, the last thing on my mind was, oh yeah, it'll make me it'll make me so much more attractive if I yeah. carry a guitar case around the world. That's right, <laughs> you know,
0: and I can, can sleep with like a lot of different guys. Right.
2: Yeah, <laughs> right. no, that's true. That's so right. Not on my yeah. list at all. But it's interesting to me that that is one of the that's a difference between a lot of male artists that I. No, and female, it's, it's different being a woman artist. There's some differences um, in terms of how the world views you. Like, I don't know that a lot of men get the question, how do you balance your career and children? No. You know, you have two children, um, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you've been asked that many, many times. Yeah. And I don't think it's really a fair question, but, but there it is. I've certainly been asked it many times. I, you know, it's just it's sexism is what it is. Oh yeah, plain and simple. But yeah, or you know, how do you keep fit? Uh, how right. do you keep your weight? Whatever it is, right? Right.
0: You know, um, oh please, let's right. not have to discuss
2: it. Right? Like, <laughs> like, would, like, would you ask Picasso that? Would you? Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, speaking of marriage and children and stuff, we are both uh, married to people that we work with. I mean, you work with Simon mm-hmm. some of the time. Yeah, I work with my husband Barry a lot of the time. All, all, all pretty the much time. all the time. Well, not yeah. all the time, but ninety percent of the time. Um, for us, it's absolutely fantastic. It is. It's it's negative free. Wow um, that
0: that oh, that is pretty amazing. I
2: think it is, and I think the reason is because we were mus- musical partners first. Mm-hmm. But what about you and what about you guys? I mean, Simon obviously he has his he's doing movies all the time, some of which you've been in, some mm-hmm. of which he's directed you, some of which he hasn't. But
0: I think it's more complicated for us. Really? Um, we've had work experiences that um, have been. Wonderful, And most of the time, I'm really, really proud of our efforts when we come together. But it's not without friction. Um, I mean, we keep vowing next time it's going to be great. <laughs> so we'll <laughs> see. You know, maybe the story isn't totally over. You know, I, um, mm. I hope that next time I work with him again, I'll have figured out how to. And um, he probably would say the same. So I don't know, I think maybe it's one of those things that you you either are very lucky that way or or you're not. I mean, um, Barry, your your husband is such a wonderful guy. Not that mine isn't, but I feel like in some ways the fact that we know each other so well is a handicap because we don't have that politeness that you have with somebody that you don't know as well and... um, that, that becomes an issue there, there's sort of there are lots of issues in a on a set or a group dynamic that crop up to surprise me when we work together because neither of us have been prepared for it it becomes a, a problem that we're not ready to deal with mm-hmm. on top of the other pressures of working together one of them that uh, that really surprised me is that it it sort of alters a dynamic on a set or in a um, rehearsal of a play that is hard for the other people that you're working with to negotiate because they just automatically assume that the two of you will have a special bond. Right, that they're they not, know you're
2: married, they know you... Yeah, yeah,
0: so yeah. so that you're obviously going to, you know, support one another to the detriment of them or have a sort of right. intimacy that they won't have. And that kind of surprised me and that's
2: that was... Kind yeah, of I can see how that would be that would yeah. be hard, hard to navigate. Yeah. Yeah. I think with us it was it was just really what I said it was just that we we were musically working together from you know from 1990 to 2004 before we, we were 14 years of solid friendship but not a relationship oh, and yeah. our, our our kind of our parameters and our boundaries were so laid down and established for yeah. such a long time that Going on the road together as life partners was like falling off a log, pretty much. So it didn't change your working dynamic. Not at all. I always say music was our first language, right? And I really believe that because honestly, I fell in love with him on the stage, watching him play. Yeah, which you've played with him, you can understand, right? Yeah, <laughs> like he plays like oh, an angel. Totally. Like, Absolutely. No, I mean, I, I really, I really mean that, and I think that was. The thing that he has, the gift that he has musically is so beautiful and inspiring to me that I always want him to, to do that. And um, in some ways it was the way that I went down the path of, you know, falling for him. Yes. And so, I don't know, somehow that, that made it the thing, the first sure. thing. The thing, the sine qua non, you know. So Yes. Um, but for whatever reason, he's also very easygoing, which doesn't, hurt in terms of, you know, being on the road with someone 24-7. No, that doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt at all. Yeah,
0: I think that
2: there are certain ways
0: that Simon and I uh, share very much a a taste in our work. So that we're we're drawn to the same kind of projects. And I'm very proud of the work he does. So, I mean, I think that this is an experiment that we'll try again one day. Uh, and I and I, I think the way that we've found a balance has been healthy for us uh, to work separately for whatever reason because um, you know then, then we both have a kind of a strong career identity you know for for ourselves that's so important yeah it is it's, and and yeah. I must admit some of it is luck you know because both of our careers have been individually strong enough that um, there's there's not sort of one person that is less than another. You know, we've been, um, and, you know, that is just luck. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that might not have happened that way. Right. And it might not happen in the future, so we'll have to sort of embrace a challenge that's different if it doesn't. But I think we've kind of worked out...
2: Well, there is a point also that you get to as a human being, and also in a marriage, when you're just old enough that you're just over the, yes. the competitive part of life. Yeah, I think. I mean, you, you start
0: I, to realize that it really doesn't matter. Uh, I
2: all mean, that wh- much. yeah, what we were talking about before about you know the film industry or the music industry, whatever, uh, sort of setting setting up this. This competitive thing about winning, like you're not successful unless you win. You're not successful unless you have a hit, movie, play, music, whatever. Um, it's not supposed to be a competitive sport. I've always felt that way. That It's just that's like injecting poison into the whole yeah.
0: process. Yeah. And the weird thing about the whole thing about the competition aspect of it, in my experience, is that winning is just as miserable as losing it's 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 just as complicated yeah so uh it's it's the actual act of doing that's the joy and exactly
2: um, exactly the
0: the the paralysis of winning is um the thing that we all think we want is is sometimes more painful than being the loser that has the relaxation of of just Having the thing that you do, that that that's all there is for you.
2: So I'm guessing that you may be partially talking about being nominated for an Academy Award so young. You were so young. I was I was young, and actually it was a terribly miserable year
0: for me that year. It is true. It's very isolating. It's um, it's very confusing. I mean, I, I think it would be even for me today. It's, um, I would
2: it, also think it probably encourages uh, so the successes that I've had. Have I'm grateful for, but they also have encouraged me to kind of watch myself doing what I'm doing, which is anathema yeah. to an artist.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I understand what you say completely. I mean, I think that's
2: part of the isolation. You become,
0: you become very self-conscious about everything you do and self-conscious about interactions with people all of a sudden. Because you know what is what is the hidden agenda? Why somebody right, right. What likes they, you and all what these they complicated want? things. Right. Right. Um,
2: but as young, how how old were you when when you I got? I think the, I was
0: twenty.
2: Good lord, I couldn't handle breaking up with a boyfriend when I was twenty. I can't, I can't really imagine. That's a lot for somebody that young. Yeah, to process and also to. Navigate all the interpersonal stuff that happens after yeah. something like that. Yeah,
0: and suddenly all the other twenty-year-olds who were your friend are in on such a different trajectory. So who who is your friend? Um, I, I um, took me a long time to like sort of find reality. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I can but, see that.
0: Um,
2: it's so true that the joy is in the doing. And I think that's one of the reasons that I love, you know, people have asked me so many times, why don't you just stay home and write songs, you know, as if, as if the reward that I get is financial, like uh-huh. you could, you could stay home and write songs and you could make more money and not have to be traveling all over the world and be suffering from jet lag like I am right now uh-huh. and all this and I just feel like that just assumes so much because the only part of the music process that's immediate is getting on a stage and singing. So that that's very interesting to me. Can you say
0: that you still love it? You still love that? I do. Yeah.
2: That, that, I, that. I'm getting more and more tired yeah. of physically. I mean, it's just the road will beat you up. But... I live in my head so much. I write. Writing is excruciating for me. Making records is fun, but it's it's a it's still cerebral, and it's still most importantly, it's still removed from feedback. I mean, you're 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 basically like in a little echo chamber doing this thing. Yeah. And then finally, you know, the record comes out and you're out on a stage and you are hopefully, what I'm aiming for every night is creating a space with you and an audience where some kind of magic happens Yeah, and it either happens or it doesn't. And it's immediate and it's now. You feel it. And it's it's church to me. It's, yeah, it's, I totally it's, get that,
0: especially having seen you a couple of times. It's just, <laughs> yeah.
2: And it is. It the, is. It and is. And it's the only uh, play. I guess it's sort of a Zen thing. It's the only time when I'm a, I'm out of my head, you know, and I'm really just in the moment. If I'm if I'm doing it right, I don't get there every night. But right. Um, but you're
0: making a connection. You're, you're making it. a connection that is the most thrilling thing because finally, it's all about making a connection. It is. Completely. And making a connection with people. All. Over of all all ages that you wouldn't be able to make the same kind of connection to if you just happened to see them in a store or um. right,
2: which is why um, the answer to that question that I get all the time, why don't you stay home and write songs? Right. Is, How could I? Yeah. What, what would I write about? Yeah. Why would I even? Why would I even bother to write songs? It's hellish writing songs, you know. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate and enjoy having written them, but. I don't enjoy the process much, so, and and I love the immediacy of of live performance, which I'm I'm wondering if acting on the stage is sort of the the parallel to that. Yes, for you. I would say so because that's got to be so different in your experience of of the thing than than acting in a film.
0: Yes, and I think I, think I mean I've only probably... been
2: I was on the set of Downton Abbey with you once, and you said. I've been here all day and I walked down a hall.
0: Oh, my God. That
2: was all it's I did. It's very
0: boring. And years and years of waiting around in, in mm. a corset.
2: <laughs> but the stage is a yeah. whole different thing. Yeah. And
0: then its I, I guess it's a similar thing. Um, I don't think you have that kind of immediate high of a musical connection. That's, that's a very special thing. But y- you do have the energy of human... Interaction and and um, that that oxygenates your your entire yeah, system. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
2: It speaking of acting, I you know I teach um, songwriting workshops, which is the biggest surprise of my life. Pretty much is how much I love hmm. teaching. I've always believed you can't teach people. You can't teach anyone to write a song. They either have it in them or they don't. But what i've learned is you can really shed some light for people that are writers yeah to begin with yeah but one of the things that i tell my students is to watch old episodes of inside the actor studio and they all kind of like cock their heads and and i'm trying to show them the parallel between actors oh my god
0: that that thrills me that you
2: say that because that is kind of my instinct too even though i've never
0: ever taken a songwriting course or But, like, I feel for me, uh, even I feel quite pretentious saying this, but the thing that turns me on about the actual process of writing myself is this idea that you're giving a musical voice to an inner monologue. Yes. I mean, I think that what I've never done as a writer that I love about what you do, or at least I haven't done it to the extent nearly that you do, is create characters and create stories and songs I think that I've only gotten as far as feeling like I'm trying to give a musical voice, a, a melody, to an interior monologue that a character might have, like a kind of, um, not sense memory, but, but, yeah, maybe sense memory. Sure, uh, I think
2: sense memory. Maybe that's but, the yeah. correct word. Yeah. And
0: then so that, so that you find a melody that actually illuminates this interior monologue. Does that make sense? It makes that... total
2: sense. And what I tell students is, to, the reason I tell them to watch actors talking about acting is because I'm trying to let them understand that they have to know the backstory of their character yeah. and that any, even if a character in a song is, is me, is I, I love you, you know, whatever, there, there are two characters involved yeah. there, even if that's the extent of the story um, obviously, if it's if you're if you're telling a story in song, a, a true story song, you need to know everything about that character. You need to know 90% of the things you're not even gonna put in the song. Yeah And actors fascinate me when they talk about their their own process because I find it's just so much like what I do. I live with I mean all the characters on this new album, I just live with them until mm. they start telling me, what they think. Yeah. And I write it down. Yeah. And and if I write something down that's not true, they tell me that's not, I would never say that. Yeah. And I think it's, there's a lot of parallels between preparing for a role and getting to know a character to the point where you can write a song about it. Yeah. Because it's not only
0: who you are as a character, but it's who you're talking to that informs the song. Mm -hmm. So that's a part of the story as well. But that's why I find it very frustrating about the music business that there's so much genre uh, defining in music. You know, you're either writing country or you're writing soul or you're writing, whereas I feel like, well, a song should be whatever it's supposed to be. But um, that's not the advice I get from everybody that if you want to sell a song, it has to be in a certain genre. I don't know if that ever frustrates you
2: so much. (laughs) Let me tell you, (laughs) um, going back to when I was a frustrated, struggling singer songwriter in Colorado and I worked in a record store and they were telling me to put Joni Mitchell in the folk section. And she was in the middle of, Playing, she, making albums, Jaco Pastorius. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah, no, <laughs> who says? Yeah, know, why do we have to have these sections? You know, I hate that, and I think I've always felt like I, I probably to some extent suffered from it because I have, I'm, I'm a a mongrel musically. I mean, I grew up with, as I'm, I know you did, with all kinds of music. Yeah, and the idea that I would, yeah. sort of stick to this one thing. I mean, I was attracted to. Country music in the in the '80s because I saw similarities between myself and people like Nancy Griffith. You yeah. know. creating and characters, thought,
0: telling stories. Okay, if
2: that's country music, then I'll go to Nashville. But um, but I always felt hemmed in by that. Yeah, um, and I and I agree. I mean, I think a song, especially in the writing process, a song just needs to. Bec- it's going to tell you what it needs to become. Yeah. John would be damned. Yeah. It's, it's kind of predetermined when the song idea lands in your brain, yeah. I think. That makes sense to me. Yeah. It's, um, if we ran the world. If only. That would be the way it would be. If only. So how long have you lived in England?
0: 24 years. No, actually more now because my daughter is about to turn 25, 25 years
2: yeah. So, do you still feel American? Yeah. <laughs> Will you always feel like an American? If anything, I probably feel more. I still feel like a Yankee, so I'm just... Really? Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. Once a Yankee, always a Yankee. Yeah. 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 But your daughters are very British. They're
0: very British. Yeah. So, they seem intelligent and polite,
2: <laughs> but it's only that they're British. They're
0: neither. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, I'm American. I, um... For better or for worse, especially these days, I
2: feel like I'm sort of honorarily British because I'm here. So you put in
0: the time. Much.
2: we um, love you here. I I love it. I love them. I love them back. Um, I I think you know one of the things that I get from people when I come over on tour is, well, lately in the past couple of years, what the hell is going on in America right yeah. now? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean. As if I can translate, you know. I mean, my answer is chaos Yeah, that's going on. Although,
0: I have to say, the picture is not looking very bright here. I mean, this yeah, I what's happening in America is happening to varying degrees. So many places.
2: I know. It's frightening. And I remember actually sitting at dinner with you, And Simon and me and my husband, Barry, and so three Americans and one Brit. And your husband, Simon, the Brit, was before the election. He was the only, he said, Trump's going to win the election. Do you remember that? And when he was saying that, I was was so furious. Yeah. And you said he can't, and won't. I uh, know, that's what I felt. And he knew.
0: But you said something very interesting, I think, at that dinner as well, because your father was in the news business. Yeah. And uh, I often pretend that I had that wisdom. (laughs) I have to confess only to you and the world. (laughs) But um, will you say that, what you said to me? Because it was something about the tide of events took a terrible turn when news became entertainment and when the restrictions were lifted.
2: Yes. Uh, My father was working for... I think it was ABC News in the probably early 70s, may have even been the late 60s. I think it was the late 60s. And the entertainment, the person that was in charge of entertainment at ABC took over the news department. And my father said, that's that's the end of the news. He had worked at CBS Reports under Edward R. Murrow yeah. with Walter Cronkite, you know, the news department was sacrosanct. Yeah. No matter what... There wasn't a blurred line. No, not at all. I mean, they left the news department alone to report the news. And um, and I think his words were prophetic now. Yeah, you know. I, I think so, too. And what it, year just, would that have been, do you think, it was, approximately? It was late 60s. He was a television producer, and it was around the time they started doing those multi-part news uh, documentaries and they realized that they could market them, and they could make make it as successful as, you know, I don't even know if they'd done f- fictional miniseries yet. I don't even know if that was a thing. But it they they started to realize we can make money with the news department. Yeah, and that but, was. Kind but of and
0: the then end. you th- the years roll, and here we are in two thousand eighteen. And it's the media that have created the president that we have yeah. because he's so good for ratings right. and, and people enjoy watching him. That, that is such a big part of what we're experiencing, this blurred line. So I think back to that conversation and what you said so much, you know, there, there's no entertainment that can compete with what's going on in the White House. It's, it's so much more of a addictive soap opera. But it has such serious ramifications. Oh,
2: I, yeah. And, and how this all ends, who knows? Wow, well,
0: yeah. Who Every knows? day there's another. Yeah. That,
2: I was really, uh, you know, I really struggled making this record. I really, really struggled with how do you, because I, I don't have an inclination to be a political songwriter, really. I mean, I don't write protest songs, but mm-hmm. I struggled with, you know you can you can't ignore the elephant in the room so how do you yeah it's
0: you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't how do you tell
2: these stories not to mention the fact that being creative and writing in a world where chaos is coming at you 24/7 you, it's it's almost impossible to do just you know there's no place to settle that things are upsetting yeah the apple cart you know every day and it's it's really really hard to kind of gather your thoughts yeah uh, in, in an environment like that but I think I think most people who are
0: you know educated or concerned or care are in such an interesting position because it feels everything you do that isn't somehow addressing what's happening in the world today seems so. Irrelevant, frivolous, I, frivolous. Right. Like, how can right. we go on? And I mean, you know, I'm rehearsing a play right now, and a lot of the time in in rehearsal, we sit and think, why are we even bothering? But then again, you got to keep doing what you do. I mean, because
2: because we need art.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that, that's it. what we're we fighting for.
2: Absolutely, and I think we. You know, I was reading something the other day about, you know, liberal arts educations going by the wayside and, you know, everybody's, you know, if you want to get ahead, study math, science, you know, to young people, this is the, the message now. Mm-hmm. And if we lose the liberal arts, they're, they're talking about not even studying history. If we lose that. We lose our civilization. Yeah, I mean it's it is important. Yeah, it may seem frivolous, but I really firmly believe we have to have the arts and we have to fight for them.
0: Yeah, well, that's encouraging to hear.
2: Yeah. So speaking of work, I know that a lot of people, Mary Chapin Carpenter, Roseanne Cash, and myself, are really excited that there's a Downton Abbey movie.
0: Oh, good. I'm glad you are.
2: Please tell me. Tell me all. I mean, I don't want to know. Don't no spoilers.
0: No, no, I wouldn't dream I'm of it. I'm sure
2: you you've, you're legally not allowed to anyway. But um, yeah, we're starting mid September. Oh, you haven't? It hasn't started. Not yet. Shooting
0: yet? No. I mean, I'm up to my ears in this play, so um, I haven't been as involved in the preparations. I've kind of because I, they're going to start without me, and then I'm going to catch up mm-hmm. with them. Um, but. Yeah, full speed ahead. With the, everybody's there,
2: and the, the entire
0: cast of uh,
2: will, characters, will Heichler Castle. Oh yes, feature in the yes, yes. Back to High he, You he gave Barry and me a great <laughs> that tour. Was true, that yes. was really yeah really so thrilling to see it in person. Yeah, it's a little dustier than it, it looks on TV. Yeah,
0: it's not as nice.
2: It's but it is. It was pretty. I didn't say that. <laughs> But yeah. Pretty amazing though. Yeah. So when and when will it when will we be able to see? I it?
0: don't know. I you know, they'll strategize they'll, they'll about the best long. time to release. There's a lot of stuff that goes you know, they they think about what else is coming out and yeah. they'll make that decision.
2: Oh I can't you gotta wait. make it first. I'm so excited.
3: I'm really excited that they did this conversation. That was a great talk. Very cool. Thank you so much to Elizabeth McGovern, Gretchen Peters. Go check out their records. Postcard from Heaven is coming out in December. You can pre-order right now. Dancing with the Beast is out as
1: we speak. It's out there. Go get it. It's on streaming services everywhere. And if you really enjoy it, buy a copy. Support an artist. Today's conversation was recorded in London by David Waters and in Brooklyn at Hook and Fade Studios by Mark Yoshizumi, who also produced the episode. Thank you, Mark. Our theme song is composed and performed by The Range.
3: Check us out on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube,
1: and of course, go to talkhouse.com for just amazing daily goodness. Also, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. We have some very cool episodes coming up, including next Tuesday, Aubrey Plaza with Craig Robinson. I'll give you a warning. It gets weird. Weird and wonderful. They had a lot of fun. Till then, I'm Ellie Einhorn. I'm Nick Dawson. Peace!
2: That was super fun and easy. Yay!